Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. So moments before we turned on the microphones to record this new episode of The Shallow End. Episode number 21. Lindsay was uh, complaining that we didn't have an intern yet. (laughs) And he's insisting on us having an intern and the intern's name needs to be, what was it? Devin. Devin. So, Mm. So if your name is Devin or you're willing to change it to Devin and you'd like to be an unpaid intern and do a lot of work for nothing then uh, you can send us your application to lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com what kind of tasks would you give the intern we were talking about uh, going through emails and how sometimes um, that can be laborious and we don't always have the time to to read them but sometimes they're really good and contain story ideas i'm i'm so sorry that you guys are so t- Put out by people emailing you with topic suggestions. I can smell the judgment from the other side of America. <laughs> yeah, we we get fives of emails. <laughs> Sometimes in a single week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, in all seriousness, uh, we've we've got a lot of emails, and that's a, a wonderful thing. And please don't think that we don't want you to email us because we do, and we're appreciative. Even if we had an intern. Uh, we would read them all. We would continue to read them all ourselves. And we're never going to get an intern, let's be honest. No, God, no. (laughs) Boys can dream, though, can't they? Damn it. (laughs) How safe would you guess uh, skydiving is compared to other hobbies or even everyday things? I would think relatively safe. I mean, it's a very popular sport. There's all kinds of regulations and guidelines. I'm going with extremely safe. Final answer. Cat? I, I mean, I, it's pretty well monitored, is it not? It is. It is. All right. Yeah. So I would think. I think. I would think it's pretty safe. Well, you're both right. In fact, one is more likely to die from being bitten by a dog or even getting struck by lightning. Oh wow! Yeah. No kidding. Wow. Which brings us to a gentleman named Ivan McGuire. At his. Uh, skydiving school, he was a pro. He was an experienced skydiver and videographer. In fact, he had made hundreds of jumps 
and had become pretty sought after as a videographer as as well. So that's a unique set of skills, skydiving and photography. I would think so. He worked out of a place called the Franklin County Sport Parachute Center. That was in North Carolina. This is April of 1988. So more than 30, that's what, 34 years ago. Okay, that explains the the weird name, Sport Parachute Center. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. He was scheduled in this one day to make three different jumps, and Ooh. all of them were going to be not only a jump for him, but video documentation of instructors and their students and this is what they call the the tandem shoot where the the tandem jump rather where the right right student is in front the instructor is in back you guys are actually belted strapped together and you use one shoot and the instructor is the one that pulls the shoot and the student yeah. just gets to enjoy the ride as it were as as much as you can enjoy falling from a perfectly good airplane <laughs> 10,000 feet <laughs> so you think about all the prep that you have to do to get your camera gear in order because this is pre GoPro days this is an actual old school VHS camera that was strapped to his helmet Wait, wait, wait. Like those great big old clunky VHS cameras? Not quite that clunky, but but pretty close. The rest of the gear was definitely that clunky. This was an old school VHS tape deck, a separate oh. deck from the camera, Oh, audio gear, batteries. So it, it wasn't even one of those VHS cameras that contained the tape itself. New. No. Okay. Ooh, no. Oh, this is old. What year was this? I'm sorry. 88. 88. Okay. Right. I'm so sorry. Very- I don't. I don't mean to um, make you two feel very, very old, but um, there's so there was a there was a video camera that mm-hmm. came before the one that you could put the VHS tape in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mean it wasn't yeah. in your phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I remember a friend getting a video camera and a VHS deck. They were two separate units. You yeah. had like the VHS recorder and the camera was an accessory. That would just plug into the uh, recorder. Oh, wow. This would have been, oh, good Lord, late 70s, wow. I think. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the caveman days of video. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm not kidding. It was probably $5,000. I believe it. And 78 pounds. <laughs> At yeah. least. Well, <clears throat> this pack was so heavy uh, that this actually comes into play later. Not only then does Ivan, each time he's doing these three jumps have to pack all that video gear, but that is on top of the parachute. So it's parachute, the video gear first, then parachute on top of that, so that when he pulls the chute, there's no video gear to get in the way, if that makes sense. Got it. Um, So as I said, he's extremely experienced. He has over 800 jumps under his belt, and what he was gonna be doing this day was videotaping not only the jump itself, but the prep going into that jump so the the instructor and the student in that in that hangar packing the chute and going over you know the protocol and the steps when we do this you do this when I do this you do that Ivan was meticulous and that's one of the reasons he was so popular and people liked working with him because he was a safety first kind of guy 
So he has this video camera attached to his helmet and the entire day of instruction is, is going to be documented. And he would actually go through the, he, he would follow the instructor and student on the pre-flight check, then follow them out to the plane, getting on the plane, taking off. Obviously, the student is almost always very nervous and the instructor is there to calm him down and say, this is going to be great. We've practiced this. We've rehearsed. This is terrific. So they get to flight number one. They go through all that. They go up in the plane and Ivan is shooting all of this. When they get to the site on this flight, number one, Ivan jumps from the back of the plane and he's shooting film tape of the student and instructor who jump from the front of the plane. Perfect Mm -hmm. light. Uh, Everything's exactly the way it's supposed to go. Perfect jump, perfect landing. And the student, of course, is always ecstatic when they get particularly that first jump under their belt. So jump number one, done and done time for jump number two ivan does the same process new vhs tape in the deck fresh batteries goes through the checklist documenting everything following the instructor and student out to the plane but this time something's a little off and ivan hears from behind him hey ivan where's your chute oh no (gasps) ivan had forgotten his parachute Oh, my God. Well, that that sounds like it would be very much out of character for this guy. Extremely. And he is, he's addled by this. He's he's thrown. He knows, I've done over 800 jumps. I've never made a mistake like that. But this one, understandably, you you could presume it it would shake him up. Gee, that's that's really not smart when you're going to go skydiving to focus (laughs) more on your camera than your shoot. He goes back inside the hangar, gears up, comes back. Flight number two, same deal. Perfect takeoff, flight, jump, landing. It's all perfect. But a little fatigue is starting to settle in. Anything that Mm -hmm. takes that kind of focus. And I think we we talked about this uh, when I had talked about being at that gun range in, in Wisconsin a few weeks ago, that after a couple of hours, you're focusing so intently on all the safety rules and the protocol and do this, don't do that that it does start to tire your brain. So uh, jump number three, final jump of the day, same deal. Ivan is calmly filming the student strapped to his instructor. This time they both come through the back door of the airplane. They hit the 10,000 feet. Ivan jumps first. The instructor and student jump right after. And it's just gorgeous. It's It's like a video postcard backlit And the student is just having the time of his life. The instructor is smiling. And after enough time, the instructor opens the chute. They both now rocket skyward away from the camera because their chute has opened. And Ivan tilts up, looks at them for a few seconds, and then reaches around to open his chute. And he discovered that he hasn't put the chute on. Oh, I'm feeling... A little nauseated yeah, right now. Yeah, it's it's actually on YouTube, and it's it's a difficult thing to watch because the video is on YouTube. The video is on oh, YouTube. Man. The video that he took. That he took. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, and you can see his hands go no. from calm to frenzied as he is trying to find that shoot and that realization that that he's going to die. Mm. How could he have forgotten to put on a shoot is, is still talked about to this day. Nobody knows. Maybe it was 
fatigue, that weight of the video pack on his back, everybody agreed that felt mm. just like a parachute. Sure, and if you've sure. done 800 jumps, you think, okay, I'm good. I've got this on my back. That feels familiar. But one can only guess what might have gone through his head as he was falling to earth from 10,000 feet and realizing that that was it. And for does the, the video follow him all the way down? Well, for whatever reason, and it, it's either it was destroyed on impact, but it doesn't, it doesn't show the end, which oh God. Okay. I don't know how you take solace in anything like this. But on this particular day, Ivan McGuire had gone through the motions of normal daily routines without ensuring the one thing yeah, he right. needed. And investigators said they understood how something like that could happen. The guy who owned the center, a guy named Paul Fayard, was the pilot of that flight. And he said, you know, we're all so preoccupied with doing our own job. It never occurred to me to say, hey, Ivan, you've got your parachute on, right? right in the same yeah. way that Ivan wouldn't have said, hey, Paul, you got gas in the plane? It just never occurred to Paul, who to this day feels terrible about what happened, as, as well, does everybody involved with that. I can only imagine that uh, probably there's a reluctance to say stuff like that because it would almost be perceived insulting. Insulting. as an insult. Yeah. yeah. Here's a guy that's got 800 jumps under his belt. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And you know, it's, it just occurred to me as you, as you said that, that... Okay, good. I just wanted to check to make sure I was actually recording because <laughs> because I've never said to you, uh, JG, you are recording, yeah, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> or JG, you've saved your files, right? Right. Right. You haven't thrown anything out. Uh, My yeah. sources from this were YouTube, the Associated Press, and Reddit. Godspeed, it, Ivan. Yeah. Reminds me of a story. This happened, uh, I was working in Tampa Bay at a radio station years ago, and we had a, uh, a pilot that would fly over the Tampa Bay, greater Tampa Bay area and uh, do traffic reports in the morning, you know? Sure. There's a backup on the Courtney Campbell Causeway, you know, that sort of thing. And he was also, well, he was a retired news anchor, but he was also a decorated parachute guy. He was actually on, like, the um, some professional parachuting team, like the Miller Lite parachute team or something. Wow, okay. Which always seemed weird that yeah. Miller Lite would would have a parachute team but um <laughs> it's like anytime i see beer themed keychains yeah like right. it's a terrible idea oh, yeah. there shouldn't be a bottle that. opener on that <laughs> yeah. stop i don't i don't need i don't i don't know if he i think he was part of an organized parachuting exhibition uh, i don't think it was the miller light one but uh he was skydiving over what was cypress gardens at the time big the tourist park, area the, the theme park yeah it was it's more of a botanical kind of thing now i gotcha. think but but anyway he uh his chute didn't open Uh-oh. and his wife was there watching the demonstration <gasps> oh my god. and his chute didn't open oh my god now this was a big tough guy you know picture like a john wayne type with a big sure. square jaw and just yeah. you know hey i'm a tough guy he's plummeting out of an airplane with no parachute, doesn't open, hits the ground. Oh, my God. 
And it's relatively close to where his wife was because he was aiming for, you know, a target area. But because the ground was swampy, most of the ground in Florida is, he actually hit the ground with such impact. It was like Wiley Coyote, where it left an impact. He was actually embedded into the ground. But he was killed, right? He was not killed. What? What the what? he survived it. His wife, understandably frantic, runs over to where he is. She has to be expecting he's dead. He's still conscious, and he looks up at her and he says, Stick around, sweetie. We'll go dancing later. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, he did break a lot of bones, but he fully recovered, wow. and it was because the Lord. ground was so spongy and soft. You're welcome, Florida. There you go. Wow. (laughs) True story. Never go parachuting in any other state. (laughs) Florida's the safest state to parachute in. Wow. You're in the shallow end with Schneebly and Toph. It's the new resort so exclusive. Its name is Hotel X. Hotel X, a whole new kind of ultra-exclusive experience. From the moment you enter our spacious lobby, you notice just how different this hotel is. No one to greet you at the door. No one behind the counter at the reception desk. No one at all. Note the cleanliness, the quiet, the absence of anything to distract you. Your every need during your stay, sensed almost telepathically. Follow the simple directions in real time on your smartphone. You'll be guided directly to your oversized luxury suite. Then, minutes later, guided back out into a waiting sedan and whisked to the place you'll actually be spending the night. Your invoice emailed to you the morning of your checkout. Hotel X. A hotel so exclusive, you're not allowed to stay. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? <laughs> you get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. 
Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the host of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. Please, wait an hour after eating before listening to this podcast. You're in the shallow end with Schneppley and Toff. And as we mentioned earlier, we love getting your emails. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Allison sends us one. It says, holy balls, y'all. <laughs> I just listened to the episode where the guy had his guitar broken by United Airlines. It made me incredibly angry and brought back memories. Fuck United. <laughs> Go, I had Allison, a, go. I had a pond hockey tournament in Wisconsin a few years ago and flew United from Pennsylvania. Everything was okay. I actually got all my equipment slash slash luggage and sticks there. But when I went to hit a puck with my stick, it bent in half. What? I take good care of my equipment and it was not broken before I left. So it was definitely done by the airline. A $120 stick. Wow. Yes. Unfortunately, hockey sticks are damned expensive. I had gotten it for my birthday a few months before. It was useless. I was sad and angry. We didn't win the tournament either. United did nothing. Bastards. Now I never fly United. Even if it's the cheapest way as my passive-aggressive way of saying no more. Thanks for reading my sad story and the giggles I get while listening at work and from home. It makes my day less quiet. Thank well, you, Allison. Happy to do that, Allison. Sorry, belated uh, belated condolences on that $120 hockey stick. I had no idea they were that much money. Allison, you should write a song and uh, called uh, United Can Stick It or something oh. like that. Yeah. Get the puck out of here. You know JG what I'm saying? on all cylinders today, kids. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> blam, blam, blam. All right, I'm 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 done. You got one there, Linz? Oh, it's short, but yes. You know, that's fine. Guys get hung a up on that. A lot of girls like that. <laughs> Said no one ever. We got an email from a gentleman named Brian Williams, and I don't think it's that Brian Williams. That would be really cool. You know, I uh, I met him years ago at NBC and my wife for a significant birthday actually got me an autographed 8 by 10 from Brian and it said uh, uh, happy birthday trust me the pipes just get better with age <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool I still have that, that. Is cool and, and of course he's referring to your voice not your plumbing exactly yeah right. oh my, I thought uh, we're still talking about the some girls like it short. Oh, I no, see what you're saying. but I like how you wove that back in. Thank you. <clears throat> this Brian Williams writes, Holy shit, Lindsay. Thank you for saying Prescott correctly and sorry for yelling. <laughs> Love you all. Ten out of five stars. He wrote it in all caps. And the, uh, the subject line was Prescott, not Prescott. Referring to the pronunciation of Prescott, Arizona. Right, in the, in the state of Arizona. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's following the uh, damn story that was always fun to refer to as, I'm going to do that damn story. Thank you, Brian, for writing. Okay, so, so here I go. 
with a story for for you. Yes, please. For both of us? Well, yes. And for all our listeners, too? Yeah. This is great. (laughs) James and Dorothy Brewer lived in central Tennessee. In the late 70s, they seemed to live a fairly quiet life. Neighbors would recall seeing them walking hand in hand down the street in the evening or... How sweet. Yeah, or or James would be in his garage puttering about. How did that how did that term come uh to be puttering? I don't know. Because everybody sure. says, uh, I've been puttering in the garden, I've been puttering in the workshop. And I always I think, assumed it was golf related. Maybe it started that way. You know, because you kind of shuffle about when you're getting ready to putt. But wouldn't that be you'd be putting about though? Hmm. I mean, sometimes words change. You know what? Regardless. I have an uncle named Putt. <laughs> James and Dorothy, by all accounts, were well-liked and considered to be upstanding members of the local community. Cool. And next door to the Brewers was a man named Jimmy Carroll. Jimmy Carroll lived there. He seemed like a you know, pretty nice guy. He was quite friendly with James and Dorothy. Mm-hmm. But um, he seemed to be, in all fairness, a little more friendly toward Dorothy. Oh. If you know what I mean. Dorothy was probably uh, easy on the eyes, as they used to say in the 1930s. guessing, perhaps. James began to notice this, and soon James began to suspect that Jimmy Carroll was carrying on with his wife, Dorothy. Oh, no. Dorothy denied it. Jimmy denied it. But James's suspicions continued. He thought at this point that probably James was, even if he wasn't carrying on with his wife, he was trying to. Mm -hmm. And one day in January of 1977, James spotted Jimmy at a gas station near their neighborhood. And he pulled in and things got out of control. He, He confronted Jimmy again. Things escalated quickly. And it ended with James driving away and Jimmy lying in the parking lot of the gas station in a pool of blood with (gasps) with two bullet holes in it. Holy cow. Yeah, things got hot in a hurry. Wow. Jimmy died. Oh, boy. From this gas station confrontation, which is not easy to say. Bullets will do that to you, I guess. James was quickly picked up by by the police. He was booked on a murder charge, but because he was well-known in the town and considered a pillar of the community, he was released on bail. Really? Immediately, James and Dorothy disappeared. Everyone acts surprised. He was well known by the people at the station, I guess. He was he had been involved, he and his wife, in charitable fundraisers and things like that. So they figured, ah, he's not going to jump bail. But that's exactly what happened. They disappear. A year goes by, and then another, and then five, and then ten, and then thirty years. Whoa. Thirty. In 2009... 32 years later, a 58-year-old man named Michael Anderson was in the hospital in uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma, after suffering his second stroke of that year. The hell does this have to do with the murder? And- he was literally on his deathbed, and he summoned police to his, his side and confessed that he was actually James Brewer and that he had killed Jimmy Carroll 32 years prior. Wow. He had had this stroke. Things were not looking good for him, and he wanted to get it off his chest, I guess. Deathbed confession. His wife, Dorothy, who was now at his side, who was at his side and now known as Dorothy Anderson, wasn't really happy with him confessing and tried to get him to shut up. 
but uh, he needed to talk about it. He, he wanted to unburden himself from his sins. Wow. Specifically the one that he'd carried with him for more than three decades. That, the murdery of the sins. Yep. Gas station parking lot, all shooty. The shooty gas station murdery thing. Detectives said Brewer told them that he wanted to cleanse his soul and confessed to shooting dead a man that he believed was trying to seduce his wife more than 30 years ago. During the interview with police detectives, put a picture together. It started to take shape what happened over the past three decades. As soon as James was released, he and Dorothy moved to Nashville for a brief period of time. They then moved to Shawnee, Oklahoma, where they lived a quiet life. By all accounts, they were thought of by their neighbors as good people. They had a daughter named Kelly. They raised their daughter. She ultimately married somebody in the military and moved to uh, Europe. So they just they just rebooted their life, yep. moved and started all over. Yeah, and they lived in the same house for 18 years, a house that was a simple frame house located on the south side of Shawnee, Oklahoma. Their landlord, his name was Cecil Johnson, and he said that they were great people, that they paid their monthly rent like clockwork. Wow. He said they didn't have much, but they were fine people. They lived a clean life, and he said he hoped that the judge would take that into consideration. <laughs> they both attended the local church. They were well thought of. They had people over for dinner. A neighbor, Beverly uh, Bailey, said that she was a good friend of Dorothy's, and Dorothy never confided in her about this strange event that happened in their past. She said, I miss her. Right now, we'd be sitting on the porch laughing and watching cars go by. <laughs> she said they were honest, hardworking people who never went anywhere. They raised a daughter and babysat children, but didn't have much of a life outside of that, according to Beverly. The pastor at the church said that they were dedicated church members and volunteered for activities like the summer lunch program for disadvantaged children. Oh. So it was a shock when the community learned that James had confessed to killing this guy in cold blood 32 years prior right. in, in central Tennessee. After the confession, James felt better, having unburdened himself. But there was, there was one small problem with James's deathbed confession, and that's that he didn't die. Say, say again? Yeah, he got better. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> like, like, got better, got got so better he didn't die. He got so better that he didn't <laughs> die, and he was released from the hospital after making what was called a <sighs> remarkable recovery. I guess cleansing one's soul like that can do that sort of thing. Sure. Wow. To his credit, he didn't try to recant his confession. He and his wife were allowed to go back to their home where they held a garage sale and sold all of their possessions. They then left... Shawnee and drove back to Tennessee where James surrendered to police, knowing full well at the time that he would face or could possibly face the death penalty. Now, there are those who think that because 32 years had gone by and that he was so ill and uh, he had had two strokes that they should just let him live his life out, but not the family of the victim, Jimmy Carroll. Yeah. They have no sympathy for this guy, saying that he only faced his past to ease his guilty conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Because he thought he was going to die. Well, that's a very good point. But of course he didn't. 
The Carroll family believes that uh, they've been given a second chance for justice. They also want charges filed against Dorothy. Now, there were no filed charges against Dorothy. Some of the evidence over the years had been lost regarding her, so she was not charged with anything. However, in the meantime, while they were on the lam, Jimmy Carroll's sisters dug up newspaper archives and old arrest records that uh, suggest that uh, she was with him when he shot Jimmy Carroll. Oh, my gosh. In the in the gas station parking lot. Yes. And so in their mind, holy moly, there is no doubt that she should be charged as well. They drove up together at the station. So she was at. In in their mind now, at least an accessory, she needs to face charges too. And it's not like you get a one murder for free, you know. Yeah, exactly. A court date was scheduled for September 2009. The most recent information I can find regarding this was a court appearance in April of that year. I could not find out what the outcome of this trial was. So it's kind of like just hanging out there. I I looked and looked and looked, and there's just nothing out there. No court records. I don't know what happened. Maybe he interesting. He succumbed to his illness, and it didn't go to trial. Wow. Couple things I think we've learned from this story. Number one, don't kill people. Mm. Number two, as one of the uh, detectives said, "quote If you're gonna make a deathbed confession, make sure you're gonna die." <laughs> sound advice i came across a similar story about a man named james washington he was arrested in 1995 for the murder of a joyce goodner but the police couldn't pin the murder on him for lack of dna evidence because uh he i guess allegedly he burned the building down after murdering this person Hmm. however he was arrested on a lesser charge and he was in jail in 2009 and while he was there he suffered a heart attack and fearing he was going to die he confessed to a nearby guard that he had committed this 1995 murder and then he got better now the guard had informed the authorities authorities of his confession and washington was charged with murder he tried to uh to recant his confession he tried to get a, a redo <laughs> claiming that he was hallucinating at the time of his uh of his uh, uh heart attack yeah that's rich but too late he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison so yeah. Yeah. my source information the daily mail the oklahoman listverse bbc and the independent great story and I, I don't think there were ever truer words spoken than when the detective said, deathbed confession, make sure you're going to die. Make sure you're going to die. Yeah. Again, thanks for all your suggestions for topic ideas. And also we're getting suggestions for commercial ideas as well. I love that. <clears throat> That's pretty cool because as much as I uh, have enjoyed working with you guys on coming up with these parody commercials, it's really cool that listeners are, are suggesting things. Because well, it's a lot of work. Well, it is a lot of work. I didn't want to, didn't want to complain exactly, but and I think we all realize how lazy you and I are. So it's, yeah. it's you know, yeah. at least we're being honest about Kat it. Cat will be I the guess. first to uh, verify that. What? No. <laughs> Send us your ideas, your comments, your thoughts, your deepest secrets, your experiences, uh, well, whatever. All of that stuff. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And make good choices. Because your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. 
We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.